Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Today we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, let me read these scriptures, um, set us up for the conversation, and then I want to pray. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, verses 6. Uh, you know, I'm going to read the whole thing. Verses 6 through 12. I am the Lord, and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return to you when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Family, um, we're going to be talking in part today about tithing. About tithing. Um, And so let me say two things before we jump into uh, what is oftentimes a controversial topic. One, I ain't scared of y'all. Let me just put that out. I ain't scared to go back to work. You know what I'm saying? Y'all can walk out. I'm going to be faithful. Amen. Um, When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it won't be my popularity. That's on on, on the scales. Right? Um, So we're going to preach the Bible. I ain't scared of y'all. The second thing I want to say is our teaching, and I say our because I grew up going to church too, our teaching on tithing is probably at best incomplete and at worst incorrect. Amen? Our teaching on tithing is probably... At best, incomplete, and at worst, incorrect. Um, Because as we are going to see today, that tithing isn't about tithing at all. Um, So I'm going to ask you to just stay with me for a season um, as we work through the text. Last week, we preached Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. This week, we're preaching 6 through 12. And next week, we're going to pick up next. We've been preaching through this book, y'all. We ain't just picked tithing out the air. Amen. Um, we've been preaching through this book of Malachi. Some of y'all are ready for us to get out of Malachi, um, but we're still here, um, preaching through the Word of God. And so I'm going to ask you to just go on a, just a journey for me for just a moment as we walk through the text to see what God is really saying in these verses, because maybe our teaching has been incorrect that needs to be corrected. Maybe our teaching has been incomplete, and there's just something missing in our understanding. But either way, I believe God wants to meet us in His Word. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we thank you for your Word. God, every single letter in your inspired scriptures is for our good. Every single letter tells of your goodness and your redemption plan. So God, help us to see you in these words. Not ourselves, not our fears, not our past. But help us to see you in the word today. God, would you give me clarity of speech? Would you help me to be loud where you are loud and quiet where you are quiet? 
courageous where you call me and compassion where you need me. God, would your church be edified today? And God, would those who are dead in their sins hear Jesus proclaim loudly today? In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Sunday, June 26, um, a pastor by the name of Creflo Dollar preached a sermon heard around the world. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about already. All right, just about two-thirds. Cool. Um, He was notoriously, uh, he was known um, as being a kind of a health, wealth, prosperity, word of faith teacher. Um, This prosperity gospel teacher basically connecting the, the giving of tithes and offerings and other gifts to God's financial provision in our lives. And those things are an immutable law according to his teaching. Now, he's been doing that for about 20 something, somebody correct me, about 30 years or so. Teaching that long time. Long time. You've been doing a long time. He wasn't the only one, right? There, there are lots. Um, he became most famous on June 26 because he stood up on a Sunday morning, and at the beginning of an hour and 40-minute long sermon, he said, everything that you, that you have heard me say about tithing before today, throw it away. He was admitting that he had been wrong on the doctrine of tithing, that it was not a law for the New Testament Christian because of his understanding of Romans chapter 6, that we are not under the curse of the law anymore through Jesus Christ. And so he began to unpack in really a marvelous way, because I listened to the whole sermon, um, he really unpacked in in a marvelous way how religion will use fear and shame in order to compel obedience. And he is 100% right. Oftentimes, religion and religious structures, religion isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it can be bad when it uses fear and shame to compel obedience. If you don't tithe, you are under a curse. You are robbing God. Things that we're going to look at today because a lot of the teaching of tithing was pulled from Malachi chapter 3. As a matter of fact, before we started the series on Malachi, how many people, no, don't raise your hand, but how many people in the room thought that Malachi only talked about tithing? That's the only time you had ever heard it talked. Will a man rob God? Right? Some of us didn't know that Malachi talked about other things. And so he preached a a sermon basically saying that he had gotten it wrong. And the Bible does not compel a giving of the tenth. As a matter of fact, um, there is a New Testament version of generosity. um, And he began to really, and it's a a marvelous sermon. I encourage you to go back and listen to it because he did a phenomenal job of walking through how the law applies to the believer. Um, But I think he got some points of it a little off in his understanding, which we're going to walk through in just a moment. And I think some of our understanding, not to single him out, might be a little off because we got bits and pieces, but we've yet to connect all the dots about why does God want my money? We're getting there. Don't, don't, don't preach for me now. Let me, let me, I'm, I'm building, mom. I'm building. I'm building. I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Spoiler alert. All right. Um, but there's a reality, right? Uh, Why does the church want my money? And why does the church, this church in particular, deserve my money? You see, uh, I said it's the sermon heard around the world because it was really interesting. The amount of conversation that the sermon clip that kind of circulated on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook got picked up. And you just, I mean, if you ever just go to that video clip, you can find it anywhere and just look at the comment threads. Man, it is, it is amazing. Um, Because I saw a couple different responses. One, People who were no longer going to church feel validated that they left the church. 
See, I was right all along. Right? People who are going to church but ain't given to the church feel validated that they get, they're in control of their giving. Say, see, I was right all along. And everybody felt validated by Creflo's dollar statements in some ways if they had heard it. So what's the truth about teaching, about tithing? What's the, what is God here calling us to do? And I'm grateful that we're not just doing a, a teaching on tithing, but we're walking through the Old Testament book of Malachi because we get to couch this conversation in the larger conversation of the book. What you see behind me is the unifying theme of the entire book of Malachi. What does God require from his people? And there's a lot of amens when we talk about pastors in the pulpit. A lot of amens about God calls his people and his prophets to be faithful and be men of integrity, above reproach. People who are not partial, partial in their teaching of the counsel of God's word, but teach the whole thing. A lot of amens on that one. A lot of amens last week as Pastor Neil walked us through the refiner's fire about God isn't coming to judge the world, but to judge the church. And do we trust his judgment? Do we trust his fire when it's us on the blacksmith's anvil? And today we're going to apply that same energy, <laughs> apply that same energy to these verses right here. Let me couch it in verses six and seven, because if we don't get verses six and seven, we're not going to get the whole thing. So let's read. I am the Lord and I do not change. That is why you descendants of Jacob, Israel, are not already destroyed. Now, this is tying in uh, what Pastor Neil preached on last week into this thought right here. Because remember, he says, I am sending my messenger. I am coming to judge. In chapter 3, verses 2, it says, who will be able to endure it when he comes? Just like Pastor Neil was talking about last week, the Lord is coming to judge. Who will be able to stand before the Lord and walk out righteous? Verse 6 is connecting this thought that says, I am the Lord and I do not change. This is why you descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. What is he saying? The book of Malachi was written, the prophet Malachi was sent because the people of God had changed. They had experienced renewal and revival. We read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you begin to see this great reconstruction, not just of a physical building and wall, but of a spiritual revival. And God was superintending all of that work, blessing the hands of their work and their labors, and they were doing miraculous and incredible things, and then they got what they wanted from God, and they walked away with God and took their stuff. They got their temple back, they got their wall back, they got their city back. And so they began to revert back to the ways of worshiping that they learned from the world. And God is saying, I didn't change, you changed. God is saying, it's not me. Oh, it's you. Because if I changed, there would be no Israelites left. Come on now. That's what verse 6 is saying. That if I changed like y'all changed, there'd be none of y'all left. That's why the descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. I am still a good, merciful, kind, loving God. It's y'all that's changed. Better be glad I haven't done so as well. Now, look at the end of verse 7. It says, now, it says, since the days of your ancestors, you've scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. He's saying this has been the pattern all along, and I'm not even surprised by it. Now, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This idea of coming back to the Lord is the theme of the next several sections of Scripture. 
And he is pointing out the ways in which we have departed from true worship to a very comfortable worship. You see, the temple didn't stop gathering and the priests didn't stop doing their job. They were just checking the boxes, giving God the bare minimum. They were giving them the sacrifices of animals that were really lame and blind and they weren't going to feel any loss anyway. The people were honoring the covenant of marriage while also trying to marry women from other things while not keeping the covenants of their youth. You see, they were going through the motions, giving God the bare minimum. And God is saying, come back. Come back to me and to right worship. So the people ask God, how can we come back? And then he connects following Jesus with trusting him. Verse 8, should people cheat God, or if you remember the King James Version, will a man rob God? Yet you have cheated me, but you ask, when did we ever cheat you? You cheated me of the tithes and offerings. Here is the key due to me. Tithes and offerings due to me. Before we get to the curse in verse 9, let's begin to unpack tithing. What is tithing? Right. Tithing is both a Israelite law and a cultural practice. Right. So the, the tithe that we understand in Leviticus 27, uh, Deuteronomy 14 and 15, you can go to those places to really unpack all the, the forms of different tithing. But there's at least three different tithes that we are aware of. Um, one was the regular giving of the tenth of the temple when the people gathered for worship. Another tithe was done every three years to give to the Levites of a particular city. And another tenth was given every three years as well to be given especially for the poor. And so this idea of a tenth was just part of the regular rhythm, and it was easily accounting for how people were to care for the priests, care for the temple, and care for the poor. And so there's at least three tithes that we're aware of on top of temple taxes and alms and offerings and other things. Some scholars, and it's kind of hard to estimate, um, would give anywhere between 20 to 34% of their annual income in service to obedience to the Lord. But what's the purpose of tithing? That's the practice of tithing, this idea of giving a percentage of your wealth, your income to the Lord and to care for people. But what's the purpose? Uh, Flip over really quickly to, to Deuteronomy 14. In verse 22, you can listen to it if you don't want to flip over, because we're going to come right back to Malachi. Talking about the tithe, Deuteronomy 14, 22, it says, you must set aside a tithe or a tenth of your crops, one tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. Eat it there in his presence. Talking about there was this feast when the tithe was given. It was a celebratory time. And this applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Listen carefully, family. Doing this, this giving of the tithes, will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. That's what the Bible says, Deuteronomy 14, verse 23. Doing this will teach you to always fear the Lord your God. How does tithing... Teach us to fear the Lord. Here's the reality. All of us know that answer. That's why many of us don't do it. All of us know the answer to that that question. And that's oftentimes the reason why many of us struggle to do it, because there's something unsettling about saying, God, how is this going to work? You see, for the, the Israelite, before we fast forward to the New Testament believer, for the Israelite, this was a way of reminding them that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Psalms 
that Leviticus 25 says that when they went to the promised land, they weren't even allowed to sell the land that the Lord gave them. Why? Because it's not theirs. It belongs to the Lord. And this idea of harvesting crops and setting aside a tenth, not just any old tenth, but the best, the first fruits, and giving it for the priests, for the temple, and for the poor, was to remind the people of who really is God. Where does their source and supply actually come from? And it was meant to be an act of worship. That's why, that's why there was a feast attached to it. It was meant to be a celebratory time because it wasn't a sad time that God has given. We have to give God 10%. It was a celebratory time because why? God lets us keep 90%. We got some work to do, mom. We got some work to do today. They ain't, they ain't like that. Um, How have you cheated me in tithes and offerings? Um, flip over to Matthew chapter 23, since y'all going to make me work today. That's fine. 23, yes, sir. So here's the reality. In uh, Pastor Dollar's new teaching on on tithing, um, he was actually lambasting against those who would demand people to give 10% of their income. And he 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 was actually going against that, saying that that is not a qualifying command for all believers at all times. And I don't necessarily disagree. But let me show you why the tithe was actually meant as a provision for an Old Testament people that has now changed in a different way for the New Testament people. But let's first hear the words of Jesus. This is his only teaching on tithing in the New Testament. Y'all ready? Verse 23 of chapter 23, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you to careful to even tithe the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more, ex- more important aspects of the law or the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You should tithe, yes. That one sentence is all Jesus teaches on tithing in the New Testament. Now, the question is why? Why did not Jesus talk more about tithing? Why did the Apostle Paul not give an extended discourse on on tithing? Because giving a tenth, y'all, wasn't being generous. Giving a tenth was just not stealing what doesn't belong to you. Giving a tenth wasn't being generous, but giving a tenth was just not stealing what doesn't belong to you. You see, the Lord says, the earth is mine. I let you keep 90. Give 10 as an act of worship to teach your heart and to teach your family that you fear the Lord. Let me say it this way. I believe that your financial contribution to the mission of God is one of the most effective and efficient metrics of your spiritual maturity. I think I will. I believe financial contributions 
is one of the most effective and efficient ways to measure your spiritual maturity. Why? Because the Bible says, for where your treasure is. It's not the only metric. It may not even be the most important one. But you can find out a lot about someone's spiritual maturity by how much they give financially. Especially in America's day and age, because money is the ultimate metric of success for most people. We say Jesus is our source of peace and comfort, but really it's our bank account and our retirement savings. We say Jesus is our source, but it's really that promotion that I'm working extra hours for that I can't come to church for. Really, that's our provision. And the reality is, when we put money in its proper place, it lets God be king. But the thing that competes more for the throne of God in your life is financial provision. And it's so large in our lives, we barely even notice it. We barely even, because it seems normal. It seems regular. I know what y'all are asking. Philip, do we got to get 10% or not? Just, just, just answer the question. <laughs> I know that's what y'all want to know. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Because I want y'all to see this. Here's the reality for the New Testament Christian. Do you have to give 10%? No. No, you don't. And for the immature believer, there was a sigh of relief just now. The mature believer is still asking the question, what does God require? Not what's the checkbox I need to check. But what does God want? See, the reality, generosity for the New Testament believer starts at 11%. I know the Bible. We can do this all day. Y'all can look at me crazy. I just throw more scriptures at you. Come on. Matthew 5, 21. We're going to compare Old Testament standard and New Testament standard. Y'all ready? Old Testament standard, verse 21, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. That's a good Old Testament standard, right? Let's compare the New Testament standard. Y'all ready? But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Which one is a higher standard? Old Testament standard, don't kill nobody at your job. New Testament standard, don't even think about it. Verse 27, chapter 5. Old Testament standard, New Testament standard, Old Testament standard. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. Husbands, don't cheat on your wives. Wives, don't cheat on your husbands. It's a good rule, right? Old Testament standard. Let's look at the New Testament standard. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. If we had to choose a rule, which one would we choose? Not cheating in your marriage is easier to do than not even thinking about it. 
not even imagining it on your worst day. You want more? All right, come on. Verse 38. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39. But I say, New Testament standard, do not even resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Come on now. Old Testament standard says if they punch you in the mouth, you get one punch in the mouth back. They push you down some stairs, you can push them down some stairs. You can't push them down two flights of stairs now because the punishment got to match the crime. New Testament standard says if someone offends you, give them a chance to do it again. Y'all want more? There's a couple more chapters of this. Y'all good? Y'all say, no, we good. As long as I don't know, Lord, you can't hold me responsible. All right. (laughs) One more. You have heard, verse 43, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Old Testament standard, love those who love you. That makes sense. New Testament standard, verse 44, but I say love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. If you thought that New Testament giving would be less than Old Testament giving, y'all ain't been paying attention. If you thought what the Lord required from people who did not have the Spirit of God in them would be less than those who God has put himself inside of. So, yeah. You ain't got to give no 10%, man. Uh, We free from the law. We are free to go beyond that which the law requires. That's the rest of that statement. We're not free from the law as in, man, none of that stuff applies. We're free to not do just what the law would require. Because that standard is far too low for the New Testament Christian. You know, the early church father, Irenaeus, when comparing Old Testament uh, tithing versus New Testament giving, he said that the tithe was a lid that the New Testament believer is able to surpass. He saw it as, as, as something that the Israelites missed out on because all they could give was 10%. For the New Testament believer, we're able to step past that lid and past that barrier to give more. But why and to who? What if you're giving, whether it's 10% or not, What if your giving was an object lesson to others about how much you fear the Lord? What if talking with your children about how they should love and trust God, you could use as an example your giving? What if sharing the gospel with an unbeliever and they don't get how this Middle Eastern man dying on a cross is somehow the savior of their souls, you could point to the substance of your faith with how you live sacrificially so that you could give. You see, the reason why we give is not just to support the the storehouse and the priests and the Levites and the poor. It's to teach us and to be an object lesson for others of the fear of the Lord. You see, we think God's trying to get something from us but I promise you, God is trying to get something to you. He's trying to teach you something about himself that you don't get to see unless you need him to show up. That's why the poor woman 
who gave compared to the, all the rich people who give as Jesus was watching the offering box, which is a really weird thing for Jesus to do, by the way. Um, Jesus is watching the, the offering box. And he sees all these wealthy people give large sums of money. He sees this poor woman give a single mite. And Jesus says that woman has given more than all the others. Why? Because they have given out of their excess and she has given all that she had. The numbers might have been bigger, but the percentages were smaller. And so tithing is not about us giving 10%. Christian, New Testament Christian generosity uh, is about using that which we financially give as an object lesson of our faith in the Lord. If you're not there yet, that's okay. Because we know progressive, we know sanctification is a progressive process. But giving isn't about whether you can. It's not about the credibility of the church that you attend. It's about your faith and dependency in God. That's what it is. And all of that foundation is built upon the fact that none of this belongs to me. See, this is why tithing isn't about tithing at all. It's just a good metric for our faith in Christ because it gets to the heart of the issue. Do you trust God? For real. Do you trust God? Because if you do, there should be some evidence of that trust. And giving finances, that which sustains us, that which provides for us, that which nourishes us, giving of that. There's no clear way to show that, yes, we do trust the Lord. Y'all know pastor's ties, right? The good ones. Hopefully all of them, right? But y'all know I tithe, right? Let me, let me break this down. 100% of that which my family lives on is your tithe. I ain't got no part-time job, praise God. I ain't afraid to go get one now. So y'all can act how y'all want to act. Um, but 100% of my family's income is your tithe and your generosity and your offering. And I still give it back. I, I'm going to say it. I, I wasn't going to say it, but I'm going to say it. We had almost 200 individual donors last year. Last year, about 200 people gave some form of money to support the church, right? That's when we do the Be Radiant stuff and other things, right? About 200 folks give. Um, out of those 200 people and the, and the biggest givers in the church, I was number six. I tried to make them the top five. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I tried. Made a deal with something in December. Somebody did another something in December, so I missed it, right? I was number six. Here's what I can promise you. I'm not number six in income in this church. Y'all seen our budget. Y'all see what the entire staff makes. You divide that up, ain't nobody making no money. But I don't have no problem giving. Why? Because I trust God. I trust God. And this is not just a, a theoretical trust. <laughs> See, some of us ain't ever had somebody walk up to us and put $100 in our hand. And just said, bless you, and walked away. But that's how you fed your family next week. Some of y'all, some of y'all don't know about that just-in-time God. Some of y'all ain't ever lie on the phone in faith. You ever lie in faith before? Yeah. 
Ain't really lying if you really believe, right? It's really faith. <laughs> Me and my wife were, were moving out of our apartment into a, into a, into a home before, right before we planted the church. And I finally found a, a place to rent. It was like, I can't remember, it was like a $1,700 or $1,500 deposit um, that we need to put down. The man called me on the phone. He's like, hey, you know, he had a couple other showings. We weren't sure we were going to get it. He called me and said, hey, the other couple, couple backed out. The place is yours if you want it, but I need the deposit today to hold it for you. Guess what I told that man? I'll be there today. Hold that home for me. God, do we have that money in the bank? 100% not. I just left my job. We planted a church. What little money we had went right into the church. It was gone. I told that man, y'all be there today. Why? Because my family needs a place to leave because our lease is up at the end of this month. We just had a baby, uh, baby Judah. He was just born. I said, yep, I'll be there today. Told my wife, hey, the place is open. I'm going to drop off the deposit today. She said, you sure? I said, yep. Y'all, y'all know them real prayers? <laughs> Them real prayers. Like, you ain't playing no more. Like, all right, God, now, come on. Like, you get real, almost indignant with God a little bit. Like, all right, I'm out here now, God. I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm How you told me to do it. When you told me to do it. Come, come on now. Right? Come on through. I'm praying indignant. Come, all right, uh-uh, uh-uh, not today. It got to be today. Don't know. I know you're going to buy and buy. No, it got to be today. Right? I'm praying hard. I go check my mailbox, um, uh, and uh, South Carolina uh, government told me that I overpaid my taxes last year. And in there was a check for $1,700. Now, I ain't saying they're wrong. <laughs> but I... I ain't never gonna pay no taxes now. <laughs> That's what I'm not gonna do. You know what I'm saying? I'll be generous with the church, but Uncle Sam, you get exactly what you asked for, right? Uh, and I'm gonna try to find some ways around that. <laughs> South Carolina, checking my mailbox, sitting right there. Here's the, here's the thing that rocked my mind, y'all. Here, here's the thing that blew my mind. I didn't get it till months later. The mail comes at around 8:45, 9 o'clock that morning. I didn't get that call till 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. That provision was sitting there all morning. It was sitting there all morning, and I'm sitting here begging and pleading and, and crying, and Lord, like, God, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm begging like God needs to do something. He already did it. Now, am I saying that this is the prosperity gospel that you give, life will work out? No, it won't. No, it won't, right? There's plenty of believers all around this world starving and struggling. There's plenty of believers in this city starving and struggling. All I'm telling you is my story. I'm not saying it'll work out for you in the same way. I'm not saying that everything that we wanted to do has happened. Because just as many stories as I got of that, I got some stories where we couldn't make a move. We couldn't do something. But here's what I know. I might not have had as much food in my refrigerator as I would have liked, but I don't remember being hungry. I may not have had all the stuff in my house that I would have liked, but I don't remember being outside for too long. So that's why I ain't got no problem giving. You got to have your own story. You got to have your own faith. I'm not saying use my faith. I'm not saying use my stories. All I'm saying is when God says to give and to give generously, I ain't no problem. Because generously have I received from him. Not just in finances. Because some things money can't buy, y'all. Some money can't buy healing. Some money can't buy deliverance. 
Money can't buy the redemption of your family members who are walking away from the Lord. Money can't buy the salvation of your children when you have no idea what's going on in their minds. So when I say God has been good, I'm not talking about dollars and cents. Sometimes I'm talking about the things that only God can do. So God, you want these little pennies? You can have them. You want these little change? You can have it. The fact that you let me keep any of it is more than enough. Let me end here. Let me preach the rest of the text. That encourage somebody? Amen. You are under a curse. Let me, let me address this curse part. Here's the fear and shame of religion. Because you've cheated me, you're under a curse. Your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes in the store so there will be enough food in my temple. Oftentimes, we have heard that verse taught that if you don't give, God is going to take your money. You ain't going to never have enough. And here's, here's a, a truth that we got to balance, y'all. Romans chapter 6 is true. That because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we are no longer under the curse of sin and death. We are no longer under the bondage of the law. But those who have been walking with Jesus know for a little bit of time that there is a blessing associated with obedience. And you can't get all that God is to you and for you in disobedience. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell just because you don't do the wrong thing. I'm not saying you're not going to have enough money because you don't give. All I'm saying is there is a blessing attached to obedience in any area of our lives, and we know that to be so. Now, remember where we started in verse 6. God says, I have not changed. God ain't going to change his mind just because we change our mind. He's still going to be a good and loving father. Hold on for a second. I ain't, I ain't landed a plane yet. Let me, I'm doing something. I'm still working. I'm still working. Because they almost there, but they ain't like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, there's a blessing associated with, in, with obedience, right? You, you, y'all know that, right? That if God tells you to go left and you go right, that you're going to be missing something? When God tells you to, to wait and you go ahead, you're going to be missing something? So any act of any command of the Lord, there is a blessing attached to it, and it's usually more of him, the presence of God. That's why God says in the previous chapter, in the previous chapter we talked about husbands and wives, that God, if you don't treat your wife as they should, God ain't going to hear your prayers. Why? Because there's a consequence to disobedience, and there's a blessing for obedience. So the reality is, it's not that the curse is because of their lack of tithing. The curse precipitated their lack of tithing. See, the curse was the spiritual revival and renewal that had been upended because of the selfishness of God's people. The curse was already in effect. The curse was the nation that experienced God's presence and power that now was in disrepair. And here's the reality that it sit with me is the curse oftentimes doesn't look like a curse to us. I had a, a, an old Older Christian one time asked me, would you want to go to heaven if God wasn't there? Right. Would you want to go to heaven if God wasn't there? Would you be okay with going to hell if it wasn't that bad, but God wasn't there? And he was getting at this reality of, do I want God for himself or do I want him for his gifts? And the reality is the curse is the removal of God's presence and power sometimes in our life, but not all the time is it a removal of his gifts. And some of us are okay with that. You see, the nation was under a curse, but they still had their wall. They still had their temple. 
They still had their independence and autonomy. They still had all the things that God had done for them, and they were okay with that. So the curse sometimes don't feel like a curse to us because it'll still have all the bells and whistles in our lives. But God won't be there. And are we okay with that? Or are we going to be like Moses and say, no, God, don't just deliver us. If your presence doesn't go before us, I don't want to go. God, if you aren't with me, I don't want to just a promised land overflowing with milk and honey. God, I want you. So this is the reality that many of us are living under a curse, but life is pretty good. Because God's goodness is still active in our lives, but his presence is far from us. And so we don't really miss it that much. But if you do walk in obedience, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and all the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I got to stop here. Let me say this clearly. Oftentimes, we see God moving in the area of our submission. Oftentimes, we will see God moving in the area of our submission. You want your marriage to have the blessing of God? Submit your marriage to the Lord. You want your children to be raised in the knowledge of God? Submit your children and how you raise them to the Lord's commands and his decrees. You want your finances to balance out? Submit even that to God's rulership. I'm not saying sin isn't real and brokenness won't happen. I'm saying oftentimes, not as a rule that is unviolable, but as a pattern of faithfulness that we can attest in our own lives, in the area where God works the most is usually the area that we are the most submitted. We are the most yielded to him. That's true in any area of our lives. You can apply that to a principle in your marriage. If you're battling with sin in a particular area, you're battling with family members and children and relatives, you're battling in any area of life, maybe God is calling you to lay down a little bit more in that area. And the word clearly says here that you give of your finances as an act of worship to me and you will see a move in that area. He's saying, don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? You say you trust me with your eternal salvation, but do you trust me for your mortgage? Do you trust me for your retirement? I'm not saying that we shouldn't be planners and good stewards. I'm saying if it comes between giving God that which he requires and us feeling like we've got it all together, let's choose giving God what he requires. Knowing that it probably is not just the comfortable amount that we are willing to give. One of the things that I'm closing here, one of the things that I hope we walk away with is I want every area of my life to be an object lesson of my dependence upon the Lord, including my giving. Even if it's just for me and my wife, even if it's just for me and my roommate, even if it's just for me and my children, I want to be able to say, look, mom and dad trust the Lord. Let me show you how. Mom and dad really believe in God's goodness. Let me show you how. I think that's what God wants from his people, y'all. Not just our change, not just our money, but us walking in such a way that honors him in our hearts, in our homes, and in this world. 
Are you sinning if you don't give 10%? No, you are not. Jesus, in his teaching on tithing, said, yes, you should, right? There's an imperative there of, of reaching towards that reality. But for many of us, we've just been giving God the bare minimum in lots of areas of our lives. And I think today is the day that he's calling us to more. More in our giving. More in our trust. More in our dependency of him. I said this a couple weeks, and I'll say it again. Our lives should be arranged in such a way where if there is no resurrection of the dead, it shouldn't make sense. Our lives should be arranged in such a way where if there is no resurrection of the dead, our friends and our neighbors are happy. Why are y'all doing that? Why are you living this way? Why do you prioritize these things? Because it doesn't make sense. That's how we should live our lives, not just in our giving, but in every area of our lives. Let me pray. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com.